So, I believe look, the Lord wants me to focus on expounding, if even just a little, the parables in Matthew, you can see on the screen, to entice us to search deeper, to pray and seek understanding on the scriptures. So we may rest in the Lord, especially in the last days that we are increasingly living in. We should read these parables not only with the mindset of that Jesus spoke them to men and women two millennia ago, but re read them as if Jesus taught us now. Jesus wasn't just describing the kingdom of heaven. These parables contain warnings. We are told to have ears to hear and to seek understanding. However, many, if you know, if you're like me years ago, I'll just breeze over them thinking they understand, thinking I understand, but I do not. I don't want us to be those who see the fell by the wayside or landed in thorns becoming choked by the world or having us planting seeds that are misguided, causing them to harm and corrupt others. So in Matthew 13, the parable of, parable of the sower, Jesus said, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. Some fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on, on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no roots, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and others sprang, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on the ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, and the parable of the wheat and tares. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced crop, the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servants said to him, do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together unto the harvest, and at the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into a barn. So I think here the my barn, my interpretation is going to be, you know, heaven, I guess, and the bundles being burnt being the lake of fire. So we will revisit these two parables later, but I want to ask you, or do you, as in, do I, as in you, really understand? Jesus said to his disciples in another parable in chapter 15, are you also still of that understanding? And I just thought, imagine, you know, they, they had Jesus in the flesh as their teacher, but they did not understand. And Jesus considered these parables important enough to elaborate on and even had them written in the Bible for us. I think we should all imagine that Jesus has stood here today speaking to us, asking, do you understand? How much more would we listen? But God is speaking directly to us from the pages of the Bible, wherever two or three are gathered in his name, his Holy Spirit is with us. I am not going to present any in-depth study on these parables. I just want us to all think deeper and consider what our God has to say. He is preaching out of us. <laughs> He's preaching out to us in the pages of the Bible. We need to ask him for understanding, just as Peter did in chapter 15, when he said to Jesus, explain this parable to us. 
People often believe the following two short parables, which I'll about show in a minute, is a reference only to how miraculously the kingdom of God would grow. Drawing people in, being a shelter. Yes, they describe the kingdom, but actually, it actually contains a warning, and is to follow on from the warnings in the parables I just read out. In regards to the enemy infiltrating and corrupting the church. All of us today, we are wheat, but we are to be growing among the tares, to be in the world but not part of it. We need to be aware of the tares. So this is Matthew 13, 31-32, the parable of the mustard seed. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. And I think many would view this parable as the tree representing the kingdom and the birds as mankind finding rest within the Lord. And although it can be viewed this way, I see a warning in this parable. For me, the tree clearly represents the kingdom, but the birds of the air do not. They are invaders, the enemy that enters into the church, corrupting its purposes, remaining unnoticed. And no doubt the birds nest waiting for the young seeds that they may devour them, snatching away and corrupting them. In the previous parables, God clearly speaks of the kingdom of God as growing as the result of planting seeds. Compare the parable of the sower saying some seeds fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them. So I think this reinforces the view that the birds represent corruption. Whilst we speak about seeds, in Luke 17, 5-6, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say this to the mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So our faith might be small, but the faith the size of mustard seed is enough to even walk on water. Peter did, until he panicked, and only then did he stumble. But we should learn something from Peter's response as it was perfect. He called out to the Lord, Lord save me, and Jesus responded by reaching out his hand and catching Peter. Jesus answered and said, Oh you of little faith, why did you doubt? This initially sounds like criticism from Jesus, but it's actually confirmation that Peter has faith, and even if it is as little as in size as a mustard seed, it might, it's as mighty in power and can grow into something very big. So in Matthew 13, 33, the parable of the leaven, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was leavened. And Jesus warns us about leaven. In Matthew 16, 5, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. I believe the leaven is a warning from Jesus regarding how the church will be corrupted and corruption of the church will spread as leaven does throughout the bread. But many would view this parable as positive, not seeing the truth. Jesus clearly refers to sowing seeds as a method of growing the kingdom. Christians plant seeds, but the leaven is used by the enemy and goes unnoticed and then propagates. The woman took some leaven and secretly added to it. This can be viewed the same as taking Holy Scripture and adding to it. It's forbidden, it's corruption, and it spreads. We must take no part in it. We only need to look at how many translations there are in English and how many add and change the meaning. There is now over 100 translations in English. And 
There's a thought that came to me regarding wheat. If we are the wheat, at some point we must be harvested and made into something new. I am thinking how the harvest, how the harvested wheat is then sent to the mill. The wheat is often ground down into different types of flour, each of us for a different purpose, but ultimately for bread, you know, which is the body of Christ. God is grinding us down, refining us, and eventually when ground fine enough will be turned into baked loaf of bread. I was just trying to be funny there, but it's um but I'm not just joking because bread is food. It it feeds people and as Christians we should all want to reach this stage of giving food to others. To offer up our bread to feed the hungry. Remember when Jesus fed the four thousand. Not just hungry for eating, but hungry for the word of God. Jesus used five loaves and multiplied those loaves, making it to feed four thousand men, not including the women and children. Jesus can do the same with the bread we offer. And I'm not speaking of physical food, but spiritual. God's word, you know, we can offer the word of God to others. If it reaches someone spiritually hungry, it will multiply. After feeding the 4,000, every leftover piece of bread was collected. Not a single crumb was wasted. God's word will not go to waste. In Matthew 15, 27 to 28, um, it's not on there, the woman said to Jesus, Yes, Lord, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith, let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So no crumb goes wasted. Every crumb of God's word is able to sow seeds of great faith into the depths of our hearts of those who seek. You could be witnessing to someone, giving all your bread to them, and it turns out to be unfruitful, but the most unlikely person whom you fail to notice might be listening and seeking and feeding on that bread that you thought was wasted. And if it, it turns out God's purpose for all that bread was for that one person you did not even know you were witnessing to. So, in John six twenty six twenty nine, 29, Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do, that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered them and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Some will follow after the Lord for the wrong reasons. They are in it for what they can physically receive. Now carnally, such as, as is in this case, they follow Jesus because... Jesus provided for their physical hunger, but later they will simply be hungry again. We should all be hungry for the spiritual truth, the truth that never perishes. They were not seeking the truth. You know, seeds were planted but didn't take root in their hearts and were snatched away. And this amazes me. We're not considered that the miracle they had just literally witnessed and when Jesus was promising them eternal life. Simply, all we need to do is believe in the truth, believe in Jesus, the bread of God. And he will feed us spiritually and do a good work in us and grant us eternal life. His help of the Holy Spirit will guide us through the different stages as our faith grows and remind us of all the things Jesus said. And after this event, Jesus sorted the tares from the wheat when he said in John 6, 56, 57, 
He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Many disciples' tears did not accept the saying and walked away. Jesus then asked the twelve apostles, Do you also want to go away? On behalf of all the disciples, Simon Peter answered, saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the word of eternal life, and we have come to believe and know that you are Christ, the Son of the living God. They believed and chose to follow Jesus, but then Jesus answered and said, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? And he was speaking of Judas Iscariot, Judas who was carnal and in it for himself, one of the tares. He became corrupted in one selfish act. Judas took corruptible silver to sell our Lord to the Pharisees, who were so corrupt they engineered circumstances that led to the blood of Christ being spilled so brutally. Yet Judas was one of the inner circle, trusted by all the disciples who were also easily fooled, but not by Jesus who knows all things. Little did Judas understand that the precious blood of Jesus is the only treasure worth seeking eternal life in the Lord's presence. In Revelation 3.18, Jesus gives the warning to the church, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eyesight that you may see. So back last year, when semi-awake, I heard a voice say something. And I never wrote it down, but it was something like this. Will you seek the foolish or will you mould gold? Now I have not looked up any verses related to what I've heard, but a few came to mind. I don't really know how to take what was said, and sometimes I think these messages from God are simply to make us stop and think what directions we are heading. But these are my thoughts. God's ways are not man's ways. There are places in the Bible where God clearly indicates he has chosen the foolish things of this earth for his kingdom. But then the Bible also warns us to be foolish, not to be foolish. To understand what foolish is, we need to seek the Lord. If we think about gold, when we purify gold, we smelt it to remove lots of dross. No matter how hard we try in our own efforts to mould gold on this earth, we will never make something totally pure. Because only God can we find anything pure. Whenever we face trials, God is refining us, preparing for us, preparing us for one day in heaven when God will smell to us and are very much there. Any of us here will be dross free. But Jesus is dross free. Out of him come the only precious blood of Christ, along with, along with water. And by his blood, our impurities, our sins are now covered through his precious blood is how we can be seen righteous. To seek riches on this earth is foolish, but we should focus on the riches of heaven, which is God. By focusing on him with all our mind and all our soul and all our heart, us in him and him in us, what, you know, what more could we want? If we don't reach the point of knowing we are pitiful, miserable, and nothing good is in us, then we will never reach the point of realising how much God means to us, how much we need the blood of Christ. I know I am pitiful, miserable, and not good, and I am happy to say this, because I know before I go to face Jesus that I am seen as washed clean by the very blood of him that will judge me. 
the spotless lamb of Christ who died on the cross. Therefore I am not judged for my sins because Jesus bleeds for us. And later the words entered my head, I bleed for you. I thought, yeah, yes God, you know, but don't you mean bled, not bleed? It is finished. So how can you bleed? But then I realised victory is God, but yes, Jesus indeed bleeds for us because he bled for us for all eternity. God is outside of time, and what happened 2,000 years ago is like now for him. He shed his holy blood for mankind for all generations. That doesn't mean when we see him that he will still be physically bleeding, although we can see his wounds. He has a new glorious body. But he will always bleed for us. He, his blood is eternally sufficient, so we will forever be washed clean. We will forever be washed clean. So I just want us to lose the mindset that the blood of Jesus is old news. It is not something that happened to, just happened 2,000 years ago. He bled for you and us, me, you know, for all of us every day that you live. And for eternity. He knew you and died for you before you were even born. So this is very small the texts I've got here. Alright. Um, so yeah, and then we have the parable of the treasure hidden in the fields. Jesus said in Matthew thirteen forty four, again the kingdom of heaven like is like treasure hidden in a field, when a man found which a man found and hid. And for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In Proverbs twenty three twenty three, I believe provides some insight into this where it says, Buy the truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom, instruction and understanding. The man in the parable discovers the truth, he forsakes everything he has because he can see nothing is more valuable than the truth. He would not keep back even one thing that might prevent him having the truth. The truth is now his only treasure, and he rejoices over it. And we all should rejoice because we all have the truth, you know. So this guy will not allow the cares of this world and the secret riches of this world choke and overcome him. But the proverbs say, do not sell it. He will never sell away the truth, but he will keep it forever. But I wonder, is... Is the truth number one in all of our lives? If you are keeping back even one thing that is proving to be of more value and importance in your life than having the truth, then you do not have the truth. The truth should set us free. The truth is more important than life in this flesh. We live through him, Jesus. We should be sharing the truth for free. Some people find ways of charging for the truth, to profit from it. Another kind of corruption. But my issue with this parable is in the hiding of the treasure when we are supposed to be a light to the world, to be fruitful in growing the kingdom and those who stand up for the truth, and be those who stand up for the truth. Jesus knew there would be those who discover the truth but act corruptly by keeping it secret, hiding the truth in the darkness, instead of being a lamp, lighting the way for others sharing the light. And I just wondered, why is this? In Proverbs 20-23 it says, Wisdom and instruction and understanding. Unless we get understanding from God, we live according to the wisdom of the world, and we will give poor instruction to others. We become nothing more than fools. In Proverbs 18-2 says, A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expression, expressing his own heart. We need to pray for knowledge, wisdom and understanding, and we shall know the truth and lead others in the way of the truth. 
Sometimes when we pray into a situation, God might withhold from us his understanding. In that case, we must remember God's ways are higher than our ways, and we must trust in God and believe. We must keep praying for his understanding, believing in him, because one day all things will be revealed. Abraham believed, yet did not always understand. But belief was accounted to him for righteousness. That is powerful. God doesn't ask for much, just that we believe in his promises, believe in him, trust in him, have faith, and in return God bestows upon us his own righteousness. That is undeserved grace. In fact, you know, just let us simply, let us simplify things, because actually we don't have to do anything. Because those things are mentioned, well, if you know something is true, would you not automatically believe in it? You know, why wouldn't you believe in the truth? We don't expect rewards for believing something that is true, but Jesus is the truth, and for simply believing the truth, amazingly, it is accounted to us as righteousness by God. And it is his own righteousness that saves us. God will look upon us as if he is looking upon his own son who died for us, having paid for our sins by taking our sins upon himself, and he bled for us on the cross. We need to reflect on this deeply. His precious blood is our treasure, but we are for him his treasure. This is undeserved mercy and amazing grace. But I'm asking again, do we believe? Or do we believe that we believe? When we should simply just believe. There are those, and I hope it's not any of us, who only think they believe, and I ask myself and all of you, brothers and sisters, to consider what do you believe in. Many would be shocked one day soon there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth because many would find out that much or even all of their understanding was wrong and they find out they are one of the tares and will pay for it. They would wish they studied and meditated and prayed for understanding from God. Instead of just breathing over the pastures we shouldn't you know, we shouldn't just listen to a preacher without checking up on what he or she said when they might be part of the leaven that corrupted the kingdom, or they were amongst the birds devouring the seeds, and they participated in believing lies and propagating lies. They think they knew Jesus, but Jesus will respond as in Luke 13, 27. I tell you, I do not know, I do not know you. Where are you from? Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And they will be gathered up to be thrown into the lake of fire, along with many Christians who are Pharisees. Tares and leaven, whom Jesus warned us about. But we did not seek to understand. Beware, Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 8, 15, 8 to 9, Those people who draw to me with their mouth and honour me with their lips, but their hearts far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching their doctrines, the commandments of men. And this is true of many Christians today who end up with the tares in the lake of fire. What comes out of our mouth reflects the condition of our hearts. Jesus was calling on Israel to receive him from the heart. Jeremiah chapter 4, 3 to 4, gave this message to Israel before their captivity. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fellow ground and do not sow among the thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your hearts. You men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury comes forth like fire and burn, so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. 
These verses also apply to us, and if we let his light in enter in, the Holy Spirit will circumcise and purify our hearts, preparing us for the day we are tried by fire. You know nothing can quench the fire of God except the righteous blood of Jesus. You might pick up a fire extinguisher and aim it at God, but his fury will remain. In Matthew 15, 10-12, when he called the multitude to himself, Jesus said, Hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. And I believe Jesus was talking of tares when he talked about uprooting every plant. Again, tares being anyone who is corrupted. And the lake of fire again comes to mind. With the blind leading the blind into a ditch. Jesus said, hear and understand. And we can through the Holy Spirit. And, you know, by the way, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I fully understand. But this is a dream I had in February 2019 called the shop. I went back into an old shop that sold small items, things that looked worthless. I don't know why I went back in, but I went back in anyway to choose one of these to buy, to check it again. But this time I saw things I did not see before. I saw larger items among the small. The shopkeeper was engaged and kind of hidden away. So I looked closer and was blown away by some of these items. Some of these, some of these items contained images, Bible scenes, Christian-related art. But some of them looked out of place and did not fit the rest of the scene. Then I looked again, looking again, I saw even larger Bible scenes and even more complete pictures where I did not see them before. Then I looked at one particular scene and it was surrounded and buried behind other even larger Bible scenes and even. Oh, sorry. Then I looked at one particular scene and it was surrounded and buried behind other scenery that looked worthless but as I looked the scene grew larger and larger right where I was focused and more was revealed until I was blown away simply stunned at how wonderful it was what was being revealed it was a hidden gem within this piece what also looked worthless began to be revealed to make a more complete picture and then Barry appeared and spoke about the amazing treasures. I looked around and so much treasure treasure was appearing that I had not seen before. And I'll just put a note here that, and all of us, all of you, are treasure. Inside you is hidden treasure others might not see. Others might not see it, they fail to see your worth. You might not even know it, but God knows and sees, and he died on the cross for you, to purchase you this treasure. And allowing his light into your heart can reveal the treasure hidden within you by growing the seeds planted within you. So I looked around and I saw so much treasure appearing that I had not seen before, and it was all mixed up among what seems worthless. And I said, This one must be X amount in price, and this one even more, because this picture was clearer to me. This one may be £100,000, Barry then said, and this one half a million, for this one one million. But I did not see where Barry pointed because he was out of my view. The gist 
that I was getting was the value keeps growing. How do you put a price on the Bible of God? And Judas did, you know. How do you put a price on spiritual food? Barry was selling spiritual food in this shop, but it was for free. I could view it all at no cost. The more I looked, the more value, the more valuable every piece was. The value was whatever I saw it to be. The million pound piece I could not see because it had been revealed to me. It had not been revealed to me. The million pound one seemed out of my reach in the material world, but actually with God it is a free gift. God's word is in us. And it will keep growing if we keep seeking or be revealed. Like a hologram, I was, as I looked at different angles, it was like a hologram. I saw more of the pictures. I saw the back of a man looking like he was being beaten and tortured. But looking at another angle, I saw his front. And as I looked closer, an image appeared to me. And it was this. It was just a huge nose. And the harder I tried to look, the nostrils got in the way. I could not see past the nose. And it was, it was so oversized in proportion to the rest of the scene. There he was on the other side of the nose. So it had become between us like a wall. He was speaking about what he could see behind this nose. And he spoke about these images of things I could not see. What Barry could see was a mystery, as I could not understand him, and he seemed oblivious to this huge nose between us. And when I spoke, he did not seem to hear me. However, I now realised each item in this store represented pastures in the Bible. I could buy the smallest item in this store and study it, and it would grow and keep growing into the million pound or greater piece, because there will always be more I can see in it. There's always more you can see in a passage of the Bible. The value is down to what I perceive in it. The same is true with God's word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word spoken by God. Spiritual food, and it is for free. But very, but yet extremely valuable. It costs you nothing but time reading and just listening and believing. God's seeds are sowed into the depths of our hearts, but the depths of man's heart is a very dark and evil place. And we know, we now, and we know seeds need light to grow. If we fill our hearts with God's words, which is light, then the seeds will grow. In Matthew fifteen sixteen. Um, sorry, back anyway. Back in chapter thirteen. Jesus had already explained the parables to his to the disciples, and I did not, and I don't need to think <laughs> disciples, and I don't think I need to elaborate on what Jesus said because I cannot possibly do a better job than the Lord Himself. So the explanation is Jesus' words. Jesus' words. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of the riches choke the word. And he, 
becomes unfruitful, but he who receives seed on the ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who bears fruit and produces, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And the parable of the tares explained as Jesus, the disciples come to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so would it be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of the fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The righteous will shine, for as the sun, for as the sun in their kingdom of their father, he who has here is to hear. Let him hear. So the righteous will shine because the righteousness is bestowed upon us by the Lord Jesus Christ. But despite having walked with Jesus for years, Peter did not understand and answered and said to, to Jesus, "This explain this parable to us." The parable Matthew fifteen sixteen to twenty regarding not what goes into the mouth defiles a man. But Peter at least knew that understanding is something deeper and to be desired. Many don't, they just think they understand. In Matthew fifteen, sixteen, twenty, Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things that which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile men. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, false witness, and blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. In Jeremiah 79, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And remember in Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool has no delight in understanding but in expressing his own heart which sums up the condition of the Pharisees but this is also a warning applicable to Christians if our heart is not right then our hearts could even deceive ourselves Jesus proclaimed many woes one that was directed at the Pharisees as found in Matthew 23 to 25 26 woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish the inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, and then outside of them may be clean. The inside of the cup and dish is probably our hearts. The Pharisees made sure they appear holy on the outside, but many were fake. They were tears looking like wheat. Inwardly they did not perform with the outward appearance. The cups were dirty, the hearts were poor in spirit. They did not let the light of the Lord enter in, but seeds need light to grow into treasure. We need to ask ourselves, what is the condition of my heart? Blind? Clean? Have I allowed the Lord to engrave his word into my heart? The stone be like the Pharisees. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 33-37, I will make the tree good and its fruit good, and make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Broad of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? 
For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men speak, they will give account of it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. For for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, and we will give account. I know my heart is not perfect, but Jesus tells us what is in his own heart, and we should look to imitate him. In Matthew 11, 28-30, he says of himself, I am gentle, or better, the better word is meek, I am meek and lowly in heart. His greatest commandment is Matthew 22, 37-39, says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbour as yourself. We should want to imitate our Lord and be praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to love and receive understanding. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. The tree is known by its fruit. When Jesus speaks of the tree, he is talking about individuals. Those who bear good fruit are known to Jesus. But Jesus did something peculiar to a fig tree just a few chapters later. In Matthew 21, 18-22, Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it, and found nothing on it but leaves, and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. But why did Jesus do this? Jesus used this fig tree as an example. The tree was superficially making false promises. It was green, healthy. Jesus was hungry and it drew Jesus in with expectations of good fruit. It is like us being easily drawn in by false teachers masquerading as holy, offering worldly wisdom that sounds convincing, when the reality is behind all the fancy dress, they are barren of any good fruit. Remember the fig tree has connections to our original sin. Adam and Eve used fig leaves to cover their nakedness after the righteousness of God that covered them had to depart from them. But fig leaves is not a worthy replacement for God, who showed them mercy or else would have to destroy them. The tree in this parable is naked, but the nakedness is hidden by leaves. Jesus exposed that the tree is false, naked, barren of fruits, so it cannot deceive any more. This tree was like one of the tares. Jesus clearly said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit, yet this tree did neither. What an abomination to God. If it did neither, then God can only say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. In Genesis 3, 7, Scripture says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed the fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So I misread that. Um, so Jesus cursed the deceitful fig tree exposing it for what it really is an abomination <clears throat> the fig tree is an example of God's judgment upon evil against those who outwardly deceive those who have nothing good to offer to our Lord Jesus Christ good for nothing in fact the tree was worse than even bad because it was found to actually have no fruit nothing at all in Isaiah 64.6, But we are all like an unclean thing, 
and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf. And I was just thinking of the fig trees, um, the leaves on the fig tree there. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. If anyone says to themselves, hmm, I'm a pretty good person, the reality is Jesus said, no one is good but one that is God. And Jesus is God. Isaiah said, all our righteousness are like filthy rags. Our only hope is that Jesus will clothe us again in his own righteousness, covering our sins, our nakedness, and our shame. There is no middle ground, for God is black. For for God it is black or white, cold or hot. If you think it is safe to sit on the fence, think again, because you have nothing. Imagine standing before Jesus and he finds nothing at all, just filthy rags, because you failed to let Jesus into your heart. Your nakedness will be exposed for eternity in hell. Jesus said in Revelation 3.16 regarding the Ladotian church. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. All things will be exposed before God. Those masqueraders sitting on the fence will be vomited out and thrown into the lake of fire. This is the lesson Jesus gave of the river withered fig tree in Matthew 21, 20, 22. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, Be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believe and you will receive. So we saw faith in action earlier regarding the dogs eating the crumbs when Jesus said, O woman, great is your faith, let it be to you as you desire. Our faith might be small, but the faith the size of mustard seed is enough to even walk on water, just as Simon Peter. So how did the fig tree wither away so soon? Because Jesus is the truth and exposes what is really behind the elaborate disguise. If we trust in the Lord and have faith, if we are brave and trusting enough to speak the truth, in the name of Jesus, and in the same power used on this tree, we also work on whomever we speak to. God's word will strip away what is on the outside and expose what is really in their hearts, which might be nothing. Without the Lord's righteousness covering us, we are nothing, pretended to be something, but God can see right through it. So going back to making the inside of the cup clean, True righteousness comes from our Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot rely on our own strength to cleanse ourselves, but seek the righteousness of the Lord so he can fill our cup with his spirit and shine his light within us. But we shouldn't be self-centered, seeking only for what we can receive as we, as we grow, it's healthy desire to give. And actually, the more I challenge myself to write and speak about God, then the more I become spiritually nourished and gain understanding. By seeking to give out bread, I also feed myself, or rather God feeds me. Proverbs 2.6, For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. People struggle to understand suffering. Christians can think, God, why do you let me suffer? I'm a Christian. But we are the servants of Jesus Christ, and a servant is not greater than the master. If Jesus suffered many things, was was persecuted and crucified, then all these things can happen to us. And why? In Genesis, we were deceived by Satan and ate from the tree of knowledge, learning of good and evil. And we now live in a fallen world. 
God is not responsible for our suffering. He has a fallen world. He is a good and unchanging God. But when an evil situation occurs, God will use his infinite wisdom to bring good out of evil. And we might not comprehend it, but he does miracles. God is love, compassionate, merciful, gracious. His consistent character is seen throughout the Bible. For believers, our trials will test the genuineness of our faith to learn patience, perseverance, to make us stronger, to prepare us for the being tried on the fire. Peter said in 1, 1 Peter 1, 6-9, So now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of, our, of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus also said in John 15, 20, 21, Remember the word that was said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all, all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. We are not greater than Jesus our God. If Jesus suffered trolls, then we will too. Whatever trolls or illness we suffer in this life, we ought not to lose confidence in God or question if he even cares to help us. He will heal all of us that belong to him. The Bible tells us so. We have the promise of a perfect body, perfect health for absolute eternity, but for now, we cannot expect perfect health in a temporary, corruptible world. The saying, a picture of perfect health is a lie, at least whilst in this world cursed by sin. Jesus is the true picture of perfect health. He is in a perfect body, yet bears the marks of the cross eternally on his hands and feet. Jesus could not, Jesus could have healed these scars, but chose to keep them. And if you ever wondered why, because these scars are perfect. They are part of his perfect plan for our salvation. He suffered tremendously for these scars. He took an eternity of sins for all of us. On the cross, past, present and future, they represent his sacrifice for us. And Jesus prayed for us so we can face the trials that would be coming. For all believers in Luke 22, 31-32, Jesus told Peter, I have prayed for you. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked you, asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And notice Jesus said that your faith should not fail. Jesus did not pray for Simon to not be sifted. He did not prevent the trials, but he prayed for faith. So Peter would continue believing in the truth. Jesus also prophesies as a sign of his omniscience that Peter will return from the trials with his faith intact and Peter should use his experience to strengthen others. Through trials we are made stronger if we draw near to God and we should use our experience to strengthen and serve others. And this brings us back to the start of the message with the parable of the wheat and tares. Satan will try and sift us. If he tried it with Peter, he'll try it with us. Satan would make a great effort to prevent us from being profitable. He knows time is short. Time is running out and will, he will plant tares among us in an attempt to corrupt the church. But with Jesus praying for us to keep the faith, then how can we lose? Jesus is praying for us 
It is a powerful weapon. Our faith in him is our armor and we should always come to him. And we should imitate our Lord and pray for each other, to strengthen the faith of each other. Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28-30, Come to me, all of you who labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. And again, better translate as meek and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said of himself in John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And remember Mark 9, 5-7, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And a cloud came and overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no, no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Peter was distracted by the sight of Moses and Elijah, who are just mere men, and was suggesting to build them tabernacles, which is like an act of worship. Even if it was a glorious sight, we are not to worship anyone other than God. The Father removed Moses and Elijah from the scene when saying, This is my beloved son, hear him, leaving Jesus standing there alone. The Father put all the focus on Jesus alone and glorified his appearance. He commanded, Hear him. And I'm almost at the end. So, Matthew 24, 4, 14. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and will be hated. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved, and his, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. To sum up, Jesus is the truth in coming to establish his kingdom. We need wisdom and understanding because Jesus will be removed. Will be removing the wheat from the tares, and the tares will be burnt. Satan continues corrupting the church. He is planting tares among us because he wants us to take. He wants to take us with him to the lake of fire. The world is becoming a very troubled place. Famines, pestilences, earthquakes, lawlessness, cold-heartedness. We are living in the last days, and as in the days of Noah. We need to be living out our faith, resting in Jesus and having a heart to be fruitful given the gospel because the salvation of all peoples depend on it. The seeds planted into the depths of our hearts need light to grow and so we must allow the light of the Lord to enter in and also to also be a light. This light can be found in the pages of the Bible. I confess I'm not confident in witnessing neither my good making conversation but we mustn't be forceful. But if we do not witness, then how will those who might have ears to hear and eyes to see get to hear the life-saving gospel? We need to pray to have a heart and boldness for witnessing. 
And finally, this passage came to me as I wanted to finish this, and it turned out absolutely appropriate. Paul the Apostle, in Ephesians 6, 10 to 20, the whole armour of God. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, and power, in the power of his might. Put on the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand against the walls of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in, in heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and have, having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with, with which you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, with which, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I just wanted to end with a short prayer which came to me, so I've written it, so I'm not going to be saying it from on the spot, but, okay, Lord, Father God, whatever day and whatever time, morning, evening, or night, may we be praying to you and be seeking with your wisdom, spirit and understanding, Lord. May we understand that you are returning. May we be ready for trials by seeking to rest in you. May we be your witness wherever we are, at home with friends, with family or colleagues at work, or even strangers in the street, Lord. May we be bold and never miss an opportunity May we be filled with your spirit and understanding to speak your words, not our words. Please even give us understanding at the moment of things we didn't understand, Lord. May we be wheat and not tares. May we, be, we, may we bear good fruit and sow good seeds that would be fruitfully multiplied, Lord, inside others for your kingdom and your salvation and our salvation. Protect us from the snares of the enemy and may we be able to identify tares among us and be our shield protecting us from them. May your truth expose them, stripping them bare, just like you did with the fig tree. And may they become saved themselves, Lord. Please reveal anything that is amiss in our lives, and may we repent, Lord, of those things you reveal. May we be your loyal servants in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.